Welcome to the podcast of Celebration Christian Church located in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I am Pastor Jonathan Autry, and we will strive each week to bring you the fundamental principles of what the Bible says on how you can truly live and lead a Christian life. Everyone has their own opinion of how we should live, but the question is, what does the Bible say? It is only through His Word that we can truly find the answers. So open your mind, open your heart, and let God guide you through His Word. In the name of Jesus, let us praise the Lord. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Control Your Thoughts. Control your thoughts. Last week, we talked about how there's really two types of people. There's those people that always see the glass half full, and there's those people that always see the glass half empty. Who are you? Who are you? Now, you know, your DNA might tell you you're a certain person, but as a Christian, God expects something else of you. He expects us, he expects us to be people of glass half full. Actually, he expects us to be people that are seeing the glass half full, fully confident that one day and one time, sometime that glass is gonna be soon filled because he's gonna fill it, amen? So today we're gonna talk about how we can control our thoughts. We need to meditate on what we think about. Now, it was said, we need to think about what we think about. Well, I thought that can be some, that, that's, that might be too deep, too confusing. Think about what you think about. I mean, you really need to ponder, meditate on what you're giving your time to when it comes to your thoughts and your thought patterns. Uh, we're going to watch a video soon. And the lady in the video says, she says that she has trained herself and tra- trained her children to realize that certain thoughts are simply not Jesus thoughts, period. It's not a Jesus thought. Do you remember when we, not, maybe not most of you, but when I was younger, the thing was to always have that little bracelet on your wrist that said WWJD. Y'all got, you remember that stuff? I, I came from a church that was so strict, so strict that my pastor told me, you shouldn't be wearing that. That's not godly. <laughs> and it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a constant reminder of what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And I think that if we applied that to our thought pattern and we thought to ourselves, what would Jesus, how would Jesus think? Would this be Jesus' thoughts? That would really help us be careful about how we meditate too much on things that are not godly on things that are not thoughts that God wants you to devote yourself to. I'm gonna get a little deep with the next two phrases. Neural pathways. Neural pathways are created when you train your mind to think, act, or react continually the same way. The pastor that was preaching on this, he says, we create neural pathways in our mind. And basically, have you ever heard that, that phrase in the States that we say you're stuck in a rut? You know what a rut is? It's a pathway. It's that pathway that you create when you walk the same distance over and over and over again. I love my, I love my garden. I love my, my uh, green space. I, I, I devote a lot of time to my gardens. I'll, I'll spend about 45 minutes a day watering my plants, fertilizing my trees, making sure everything's good. If there's a problem, I'm calling the gardener from my garden at 6.30 in the morning. I need you to bring me this. I need you to bring me that. We got some stuff to take care of in my garden. And I have two dogs. They're American bullies. Big dogs. Big, strong dogs. 
and I have them. My mother-in-law was just here for some of you guys. She's like, why are those dogs outside? They need to be inside in the bed. I said, uh-uh, those aren't pets. Those are my god dogs. They're, my guard. They're doing their job. They're supposed to be out there. But one thing that aggravates me about my dogs is along the lines where they can see people and do their job, they have made a rut. I have patches, roads, where you can see the dogs have run back and forth and back. It's so funny because... They run back and forth, barking at people that they can't get to, right? And they've destroyed my garden to the point where I have patches of cement in certain places to make it look better. But it doesn't look any better when I put cement down. <laughs> and I feel that sometimes we're the same way. We're like that. Sorry to compare us to that, but we're like those dogs. And we're running back and forth in these ruts and these thought patterns, barking at stuff we can't fix. Worried about things that we shouldn't be worrying about. Because no matter how much we bark, no matter how much we run back and forth up and down that rut, it's not going to change anything. So why would you give yourself to those thought, thought patterns? Cognitive bias, another big word. It's when past events or experiences create a filter by what your feelings are affected. Let's go through that again, okay? A lot of stuff. It's when past events or experiences actually create a filter in your mind by which your feelings are affected. I could talk all morning about this just because of experiences I had as a child that today kind of are triggers for me. One of those I've talked to many times about in church, so I'm going to go ahead and use that illustration. If you go into my house and you go into my closet, you will realize something about my side of the closet and my wife's side of the closet that is very different, very unlike a man and woman. And that is I have at least three times the amount of shoes that my wife has. Three times the amount of shoes that my wife has. I'm so thankful to God that my feet stopped growing because now I'm able to buy shoes and know that they'll be there for forever as long as I take care of them. I buy JJ a pair of shoes and literally three or four months later, I'm having to get him the next size up because they don't fit him anymore. So I don't spend a lot of money on his shoes because I know he's not going to be able to get the benefit out of them. But me, on the other hand, I know I'm, I have shoes in my closet that I've had for 10 years in great condition. You'd never know it because I don't wear them every day. I don't wear them out. And my shoes are special to me. Do you know why? Because when I was growing up, I got one pair of shoes a year for school, church, gym, basketball court, everything. It was that one pair of shoe. And you have no idea how many times I would go to the hardware store with 25 pesos because they would sell it in little portions and buy cement to glue my shoes together. There was a time where I took up skateboarding, stupidest thing I ever did, because it would wear holes in my shoes. And you know what we did to fix our shoes? Literally wrap it in duct tape. That's what we do. So it's a trigger thing for me because now so many years later, since I never had the opportunity to have that shoe I wanted because my parents always bought the shoe that I needed, now when I see a pair of shoes that I really like, guess what I do? I buy it. Because my past experiences have created a filter that affects my feelings. And I react because of that. And there's a lot of us that have these same filters that have been ingrained in us, and they're negative filters. 
I don't think that that filter that I have is a positive one. I wish I could cut my shoes down to just like five pairs and be simple. I know a lot of you guys probably only have two or three. And you say, I'm good with this. It's not like that for me. But we have to really consider how our past experiences affect the way we think negatively today because that's not what God desires for you. Second Corinthians, this is a text for this morning and I pray that you would just, just chew the cud on this text this week. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five. I'm gonna read it, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As deep scripture right there. There are so many deep thoughts, and I hope I can get through all of them this morning because this is a great part of scripture. First thing, we let's go back to verse three, and let's just verse by verse break this down, okay? Let's unpack this. For though we walk in flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I'm the type of person that sometimes what's happening on the inside is reflected on the outside. Amen? Or am I the only one that reacts that way? You know who usually suffers the blunt trauma of my interior warfare? My wife. My wife. No, not me. Not me, because if I get to that point where I'm being bothered too much, I just take me a Tylenol PM and I'm out. <laughs> I'll get over that real quick. But I usually am snapping at the person that's close to me, and it just happens to be my wife a lot of the time. I can say that because she's not in here. <laughs> No, she knows it because she'll tell me, hey, you need to take a chill pill. You need to go take a nap. You need to go eat something or take a nap or something. But you're not acting fairly towards me because we're walking this walk of the flesh. And as Christians, we need to understand that our battle is not a carnal warfare. It's a spiritual one. And you know, the enemy is not going to attack you where you're strongest. He's going to look for your weakest point. He's going to look for the point where he can get you and hurt you the most. Be careful what you set up as a God in your life because Satan will find it. We are fighting the spiritual warfare in our flesh at many times. Verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I love this part of this verse. So much so, I'm going to learn this verse this week. But mighty through God to the Pulling down of strongholds. Ooh. God has empowered me. He has gave me access to his strength to pull down strongholds. It sends me to that story of Jericho where the children of Israel would march for the whole week and then they marched seven times. You know when we bought our property out in Verone, which I thought those of you have been there since here. Steve can testify to this. Peggy can testify to this. They were here from the beginning when we were looking at that property. And one Sunday after church, I actually took our whole congregation to that property in Verone, and we marched it seven times in prayer. Might sound cheesy, but it was good. It was a good day. We had fun. 
We didn't have any horns on us or anything like that. We didn't scream or yell on her. <laughs> but that's what we just did. And I think the story of Jericho and how they tore down a stronghold in the name of God without even touching the wall. And to think that God has empowered us to pull down strongholds, but we're so bent on, on fighting spiritual wars with carnal weapons. God has armed you to fight and tear down these strongholds. Verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I mean, are you getting that verse? The purpose of us having access to that strength to tear down these strongholds is because it's meant to take every imagination, every high thing that could exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Not even God, because God's not worried about anything being superior to him. He knows who he is. But we are meant to destroy any stronghold, any imagination, any high thing that would even rise up against someone coming to the knowledge of God. That's some deep stuff right there. Just amazing scripture bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what this is all about. This whole series is about this part of verse 5 bringing every thought into captivity. I don't like that word captivity. You know why? Because when I think of the word captivity, do you know what I immediately go to? Again, this is one of these emotional triggers for me. When I was like eight or nine years old, my parents took us to Florida and they took us to SeaWorld. Anybody ever been to SeaWorld? Been to SeaWorld, loved it. Loved it until I was about, 21 or 22, and I saw a documentary on the captivity of orca whales, and it completely changed my whole view on that beautiful experience I had as a kid and ruined it for me because the orcas were in captivity, these big, huge animals that are so social and have their families and need all this space. And these things that I saw as these gentle giants, how they're actually hunting machines. They hunt great white sharks. Did you know that? Just for fun. How when they're in captivity, something interesting happens. Is it their dorsal fin or their dorsal fin? I don't know what it's called. The main fin that's on their back. When they're in the open ocean, it actually stands straight up. But when they're in captivity, it's actually, it's almost like that's their smile. It's almost like that's their smile. When they're out there and they're good, it's all. But when they're in captivity, for some reason, that fin just bends over. It's almost like they've lost purpose of life or something. And I think when I think of this verse, I was thinking to myself, that can't be a good thing. Yes, it is. God wants you to allow him to hold your thoughts in captivity so he can control what you're thinking and how those thoughts actually affect your life. Yes, Lord, I'll sign up. I don't want to feel depressed. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel stressed out. I don't want to be worried. 
I don't want to be kept up at night just with my mind wandering on all the ifs. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, and I don't know why it's maybe as I get older. Sometimes I'll be laying in bed, and I will actually start thinking about how fragile life is and how quickly I can lose someone I love. Has anyone ever done that? I mean, I, I just think, and it's not because anything has happened in the last day or two. I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, tomorrow this could happen and I could lose my son or this could happen. I could lose my wife or my best friend or something. And my mind just starts thinking about that. I'm like, I don't want to think about this stuff. I don't want to be anxious. I want to go back to when I was 10. I want to be my son again, where my main concern is, will my bike still be downstairs when I wake up in the morning? I want to go back to when I don't care about bills. I want to go back to where I don't feel stressed about work, anxious about what I haven't gotten done or what I have to get done. God says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are charged to destroy all that exalts itself above God and to bring every thought captive and in obedience to God. We need to reframe our thinking. Reframe our thinking. I was looking up pictures of major art pieces. And just to think, you know, those pieces that cost millions and millions of dollars are in frames that are worthless, practically worthless. And then I saw some other pictures of where there are actually frames that cost millions of dollars because they were made Way back in the day, they were made a certain way that can't be replicated, and they just have huge historic, monumental historic meaning. And as I'm thinking about this, about reframing my thinking, I'm thinking to myself, maybe my painting is the, isn't the prettiest, but I could put it in a beautiful frame. And I was imagining how art is so subjective, Right? I mean, some people, can, I was looking at the second most expensive piece of art the other day, and all it is is a bunch of like triangles. I forgot the name of it and everything. It's like all these abstract little lines and everything, and it's like worth $3 million. And oh my goodness, I think I could do that. You know, it's just super easy. It's like you could just get a painter that is really, really known for his craft and give him any object whatsoever and have him dip it in paint and throw it at the wall and it's immediately worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just subjective, I think. But you know what? The frame is so important because if we knew nothing more about art, like me, I don't know a lot about art, and if you put two paintings in front of me and said, which of these two paintings do you think cost the most? I would probably, depending on how pretty the frame was, if you put a very simple frame on the expensive one and a very luxurious one on the cheap one, I might accidentally say, oh, that one looks more because the frame kind of sets the tone in the expectation of what it's holding. And I think that if we reframed the things that are happening in our lives and bought, brought some beauty into the negative, that maybe we could change our way of thinking. I want you to watch this short video quickly. 
with me, please. That are terrible. Yeah. Yes, that hurt. I am sorry that happened, but that does not have to shape your tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It does not have to become who you are. It's an event that happened. Yeah. And that's the big piece of helping people tease out that happened. Yeah. I am sorry. Yeah. But unless you allow it to shape your tomorrow, it does not have to. Mm -hmm. Because also we have to realize things happen in a moment in time, but that moment is over. Mm -hmm. So what you're reliving is in your mind. And then you subsequently relive the emotion attached to that event that happened. Yeah. But the event itself is over. Yeah. You're only reliving what you choose to relive about that moment. My philosophy is, okay, Frank did something to me. Mm -hmm. And if your name is Frank, I apologize. That's just like my generic name. (laughs) Sorry, Frank. (laughs) Exactly. Sorry to all the Franks everywhere. (laughs) But Frank did X, right? Mm -hmm. But Frank is now skipping through the lilies. Frank has moved on. Frank is living on a yacht in France, right? (laughs) Whatever. But you are so stuck on, he did this to me or she did this to me. And, uh, but you've not allowed that person. Why would you give Frank? Yeah. Don't give Frank the power. Don't give Frank that control in your life. Frank doesn't deserve it. Frank doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Frank is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's just another, it's a Tuesday for Frank, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Right. But you can relive and recount every Mm -hmm. single moment of it. Why? Why would you choose that when you can choose to let it go and then let in the love of Jesus to heal it? Again, let's go back. It happened. It was awful, whatever that moment was. But there is nothing so awful that Jesus will not heal with his love. Yeah. But he can't if you keep reliving. Yeah. Yeah. Awful moment. He's yep. trying to get in. Yeah. But he's like, okay, well, I here guess we I'll stand here yep. until she, you know. Yep. But it, you don't have to. And so that's one of the big pieces in adulthood, mm-hmm. I think, that a lot of us struggle with. Yeah. Is that people are like, well, when I was six, I didn't get a pony. Dude, you are 42. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go buy yourself a pony. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but let's move on. Yeah. We say, mm-hmm. okay, Jesus, I have been angry yeah. about this for so long. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it because you just don't realize things yeah. too. So you have to give yourself grace because there's just things you don't realize, but then let it go. Mm-hmm. And then you have to choose to not think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It's going to pop into your head. So That's right. Papa Hagen used to say, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Yeah. I yep. love that. Yep. And it's because, no, I can't stop the birds, but I don't have Those to thoughts are going to fly here. by. Yes them to nest in my hair. Thoughts are going to pop into your head from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's your thought, it's the enemy's thought, it's a random whatever, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to meditate on it. Yes. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to incubate it. You don't have to roll it over and chop it up and look at it from different angles. It pops in. No, that's not a Jesus thought. And so (laughs) I taught my children that when they were little. Yes, random things are going to pop into your head, but they would hear me walking around the house saying, oh, that is not a Jesus thought. You know, and they're like, what are you doing? That's not a Jesus thought. Well, you're doing exactly what the Bible teaches. Take every thought captive, right? Make it obedient. Here you go, a thought. That's not a Jesus thought. That's not a Jesus thought. You're not welcome. This is a Jesus thought. He loves me. I'm the righteous. And this is where we're going. Yeah. You know, and it- Replace that with truth. Exactly. And it doesn't take memorizing the whole Bible. Yeah. You know, get one simple scripture. Yeah. One. Yeah. And chew that one over and over again. Because remember, Jesus, that's how Jesus defeated the enemy. Mm-hmm. Three scriptures. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Amen. Some really deep thoughts in there. 
that can help us have the proper perspective that we need to get this year and make it the best year of our lives. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter all the turmoil that you're living through right now. You can still make the best of it. You can still change the way you decide to look at things. And that's the whole purpose of this series is that when you focus your thoughts on past activities and experiences, you give it permission and strength to keep you in obedience to those thoughts and emotions. Something she said was, things happen in a moment in time, but it's over. You must move on from them. Because you cannot, as a Christian, allow things that happen on this earth to dictate the rest of your life. You are purposed for so much more than that. And your life here on earth, whether it be 70 or 80 years, isn't but a droplet in eternity. So why do we give so much time to negative thinking? Why do we waste so much energy and emotion on things that really happened in the past that we can't fix? He can only heal what you submit to him. How can I reframe my way of thinking? Three things quickly this morning that will help us reframe the way we think of things. Number one, thank God for what didn't happen. That's a good way to look at things. Thank God for what didn't happen. I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, I do talk about this quite a bit because I think that sharing personal things that I walk through helps people realize, hey, we all are going through it. Just because I'm a pastor does not make my life any easier. You need to understand that. We're all walking this Christian walk together. And a little bit over a year ago, my wife had a terrible accident where a motorcycle hit her from the side going over 80 miles an hour. The young man didn't make it. And that was a terrible experience. And it was for the whole family, for our church, for everyone. It was something, even the people from CCC, people were offering out help and help and help and encouragement and stuff. But you know what I always reverted to whenever I would start thinking about it? Because I was sitting in the vehicle behind my wife while she was driving. I always reverted back to the same thought. I'm so thankful my family was preserved because my wife was driving and all three of my kids were in the back seat. I'm so thankful that my family was preserved. I feel bad about what happened. I feel bad that my kids went through that. I'm, I feel bad that my wife went through that. I feel bad that that young man went through that and his family had to walk through that. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna give thanks for what didn't happen. I'm gonna give thanks because my family is still here with me. I'm gonna give thanks because God, I believe he sent his angels and just covered my vehicle at that moment. So when we think about and we thank God for what didn't happen, that gives us a new perspective. And just going in that thought pattern of what we're doing, we change the frame. Just change the frame completely. Instead of letting the incident be also this ugly frame that just constantly reminds you of ugliness and terribleness, you know, that picture's always going to be there. But if you can change the frame then you've done something to help your thought pattern. The feelings and emotions might still be there, but you will bring the best out of all of it. And I think that that's what God wants us to do. Hey, my mercies and my grace are forever. My mercies and my grace will always be there. 
So we need to look for and reframe the situation to look for what didn't happen. An attitude of gratitude is key in doing this. Because as long as you're grateful, I think God have never been fired from a job. Don't know who has. But I could only imagine how lost you would feel when your family is depending on you to provide. And then all of a sudden, you don't have a means of providing for your family. That would be a terrible feeling. But maybe the gratitude is, well, at least we still got a roof over our head. Well, at least we have some food in the fridge in the pantry for the next week. You know, I don't have to focus on what's going to happen a week from now because the Bible tells me that tomorrow has its own concerns and its own problems. I'm just going to be thankful for it and concentrate in today and be happy and realize what hasn't happened, what God has done for me. Psalms chapter 100, verse 4, I love this verse, says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. It's kind of hard when the enemy's getting you down and you start praising and worshiping and quoting verses, it's kind of hard to stay down. Amen? I said it last week. You know, it's incredible how we get kids and when they're babies, we want to teach them to walk. And every time they fall down, it's not like, okay, let's wrap them up in bubble wrap. They're not going to try that anymore. No, get back up and keep trying. You try to teach them to talk. And I told you guys, that my wife, she was very, very upset with all three of our children because they said dad, dad before they said mama. Because I was just like, dad, dad. At night, I'd wake them up. Come on, wake up. JJ, come on. Dad, 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 dad. <laughs> and then we spend the rest of their lives trying to get them to shut up. <laughs> it was like Maya, she, like, sometimes she just starts talking. And my mind as a man, I just go into that box. Amen. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like so far away from the conversation. I'm just like, just kind of like in the back of my head, reminding myself to nod my head every once in a while and everything, you know, like that. Enter into his gates. Listen to this. Redemption is far more powerful than perfection. Let me paint a scenario. You're born and life is perfect. You wake up every morning. Everything is perfect. Perfect just surrounds you. Everything is perfect. Guess what? You never get to appreciate perfection. This is a thought that came to me yesterday as I was driving back from Santo Domingo. I thought to myself, you know what's going to make heaven so amazing? You know why I think the angels fell, fell? You know why I think that it just didn't work out in the beginning? It's because it was all perfection, they didn't know anything else. They didn't know any better. See, for me, I've tasted the sour. And because I've tasted the sour, the sweet will always be so much sweeter. But if you haven't experienced the sour, perfection means nothing. Redemption is so much more amazing because we know where we came from. We know what God has saved us out of. We know where we were captive, and we know now where we have our liberty. That's why we can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's just amazing for us when we have, I, I, I did that, uh, I did a diet once that was no sugar whatsoever, no sugar. And I got to the point where I could take 80% dark chocolate. And when I would put it in my mouth and taste it, it actually tasted sweet to me. 
because I had taken my, my taste buds and my body out of sugar so much that even the smallest amount of sweetness just seemed amazing to me. And I think that that's what heaven's going to be like. Glory's going to be like. It's going to be like I never could imagine that perfection could be so amazing because of all the heartbreak that I had to live through and go through. And again, thank God that our life here is just a droplet compared to eternity. Because the purpose isn't that we experience that for forever. The only way to fully experience a sweet is when you've experienced a sour. As long as you serve the idea of God, you will never experience the presence of God. Can I say this this morning? I think that a lot of us, sometimes we get stuck in that thought. We love the idea of God and we serve the idea of God. But we truly haven't had the experience of the presence of God in our lives. And I'm, here, and I'm not here to judge anyone this morning. But may I dare say that I thoroughly believe that half of Christianity is serving the idea of God over the presence of God. I know there's this higher entity. I know I need to go to church once in a while, and I need to good, do, do good deeds and everything. But here you go. Pastor, how do you know if I'm just serving the idea of God or if I'm actually enjoying the presence of God? When was the last time you took your Bible and you read it by yourself with the purpose of seeking God's purpose for your life that day? Here you go. When's the last time, not because you were hurt or because you were in need, you locked yourself up in your room by yourself and just spent some time praying with God? I, I just, I, I'm being bold this morning, but I believe that many of us are more wrapped up in worshiping the idea of God than actually trying to attain the presence of God in our lives. And as a Christian and as a pastor, I want to tell you, make sure you're not worshiping the idea. Because you know when the Bible talks about there's a lot of people that's going to come before God and said, he, he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah, but God, I knew you. I went to church every Sunday. I never knew you. I think that that's going to be some of the heart, most heartbreaking moments for many people because they didn't give themselves completely to the presence of God in their lives. Number two, look to what can be. Look to what can be. So the first one is we look at what didn't happen. We reframe it. The second one is we look to what can be. We practice pre-framing. I've done this before. There was a time when we got our first apartment and I was going to start helping Janine decorate. And before I went and bought art, do you know what I did? I went to the actual framing store, the place where I was going to send all our art to be framed, all our pictures and everything, because I wanted to know what they had. Because I already had an idea. I wanted to do those glass 3D boxes for the pictures, and I wanted to be a white and I knew exactly how wide I wanted, and I wanted to make sure they had it. So I actually bought the frame before I printed out the pictures and before I bought the paintings. And I think that sometimes we need to practice some pre-framing because sometimes we have expectations in life that actually steal our happiness. Amen? You, you see, we, it happens to us here in Punta Cana all the time. Those of you that have bought vehicles, maybe you go shopping for vehicles, you get online, you look at the pictures on 
Facebook market and everything look amazing. You get to the vehicle and you're just like, no, this is not the same vehicle. I saw the picture. Where's this vehicle? See, this one, this one. Oh, yeah, it's this one. It's just I let my wife and kids use it for about six months. And now they tore up some seats and stuff. And I don't want it anymore because I got something newer. So I'm selling this one. That's what we do when we have expectations. We lose our expectations. All of our joy falls down when what we actually are looking at doesn't measure up to the expectations we've set before it. We need to practice a little bit of pre-framing. Framing. And I'm not saying that you need to come to church in the morning and say, I just feel that God, I, I just feel that Pastor Jonathan's really going to bomb this morning. That way, when you come to church and the sermon is halfway decent, say, he did a lot better than I thought he did. He was going to do. I'm not talking about doing that, okay? <laughs> we should expect great things out of life. We should expect God to do great things. But sometimes we have illogical expectations. Sometimes we come into places thinking or expecting things that are really not, not up to par with what we're thinking because we have these out-of-world expectations that aren't realistic. Make your expectations allow some grace. I do that all the time when I go to restaurants here. You never know when you're going to sit down in a restaurant here and they're going to be short-staffed. And you know you're going to get a good meal, but it's probably going to take about an hour. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. You go to some of these restaurants where you've been served in 10 minutes, and you'll go to the same restaurant two weeks later, and it'll take an hour to get your food. And then when you create those expectations, you get upset when things don't go your way. I, I'd like to go in with the, with the pre-framing of, I'm just here to spend some time with my friends or with my family. When I get my food, I get my food. If I'm overly hungry, I'll just ask them to bring some bread out, start filling that stomach up or something. But I'm allowing myself to provide a little grace to those around me, to the situation around me. Let's not have unfair expectations. You plan ahead how you will think about outcomes and experiences. Sometimes we go visit my in-laws and we're going to her extended family. And I literally... Do any of you guys like baseball, play baseball, you know? I'm literally like, okay, Janine, Janine, after we eat and everything, if things aren't going too good, we're stealing third. We're leaving. Check for the signs, okay? I'll let you know. Did you know that Queen Elizabeth, this was interesting. She would do something very interesting with her purse, Look this up. This is not, I'm not joking. I forgot what it was. I don't know if she would touch it or she would move it. And that was a sign that she was ready to go. And then everyone around her would start moving to get her out of there. Sometimes we got to do some pre-framing to our situation, knowing that we got to allow a little bit of grace and be prepared for less than what our expectations should be. Number three, keep looking for God's goodness. Keep looking for God's goodness. Things aren't going well. Things aren't happening like you thought they would. Keep looking for God's goodness. Everything happens in his time. His timing is everything. Keep looking for better frames. All right, so we're going to reframe stuff. We're going to pre-frame stuff. And we're going to keep looking for better frames. And in your situation, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever has happened in your past, 
Maybe you've reframed that scenario many times. Keep looking for better frames. Keep looking for the goodness of God in those times. I don't know what's happened to you. I've heard the most terrible, terrible, terrible of stories. I remember when I was a teacher, and I'm going to be closing with this. I remember when I was a teacher, um, I, I was... I was a teacher in fifth grade, had a student. So I started in fourth grade, and every year I went up a grade until I was teaching only in high school. But it was my second year of teaching. I had been this young girl's teacher in fourth grade. She was an amazing student, got straight A's and everything. Fifth grade comes along, getting straight A's, doing well. Christmas vacation's over. We come back to school, and all of a sudden, she starts flunking everything. Like, what is going on with this girl? And um, I remember bringing her down to my office. What fifth grade teacher has an office? Well, I was also like a supervisor, so I had my own office. So I brought her down to my office. I sat down with her and I asked her, I was like, what's going on? What is going on? Long story short, out of after a lot of talking, over Christmas vacation, a neighbor had raped her. She's like, please don't tell my parents. I was like, uh, I didn't know what to do. Here I am in one instance, I'm helping this young lady and I'm, she's telling me this, but the other instance, this is not information the parents can be held from. They need to know what's going on. So literally a day later, I had the parents come and I explained the situation. Long story short, she wasn't too happy with me and everything, but long story short, that was, I was 19 when that happened. I'm 39. That was 20 years ago. She works full-time in a Christian school in Santo Domingo, influencing other young people, being a positive influence on them. Still not married. I don't know why. She's an amazing girl. And so many good things have come out of her life. She's so positive. And the last conversation I had with her was maybe like, the last conversation I had was with her was maybe five years ago. She was at church and I was preaching. And after the service, she came to me and she said, you know, I'm so thankful you told my parents. They got me the help that I needed. And I feel that everything happens for a reason. And I feel that my experience helps me to help other young people that might be going through the same thing as me. I'm thinking to myself, how strong she needs to be on the inside to take such a horrific situation that happened to a child that had everything going through them, all their innocence and everything. And she's actually saying, I can see the good in this. And the good might not have been for me, but it can be for others. She reframed. She preframed. And she's still looking for the goodness of God in everything that happens to her. And I'm saying that's what we need to do as Christians. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Constantly be looking for the goodness of God. Constantly be renewing your thought patterns that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renew your thoughts. And as you renew your thoughts, you will find his goodness and his will. So if you're going through something today, if you're starting this year out and you're saying, I need to change some stuff. I want this to be the best year of my life. I want to have a proper perspective 
for 2023, something that you need to understand is there's some negative thoughts, there's some negativity, there's some terrible things that have happened in our past. And if we want this to be an amazing year personally, as a church, spiritually, all the way around, you've got to make sure you are in the right frame of mind. And this morning, Miss Nikki came up and she gave the she gave the welcome. She said, so many good faces in the right places, right? But I'm wondering if these faces are in the right spaces. Is your mind in the right space this morning? Depression, anxiety, your past, all these are things that can keep you from experiencing the joy that God has for you. Make sure that you keep your thoughts in captivity to Christ in an obedience to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. And God, we just thank you for 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That in the midst of the troubles that we face and the, the negativity that we live in and the thoughts that the enemy wants to plant into our minds and hearts, we can find your grace. We can find your provision. We can find that you are willing to heal anything and everything that can come into us as long as we give you the space to do that. Lord, help us to see 2023 as the best year that you could ever have for us. That you will break chains this year, that you will encourage, that you will use us to reach the lost, that this year things will be done for your kingdom that hasn't been done in past years. And we receive all these things, we accept these things, and we accept and receive the responsibility to be your hands and feet and take the good news and take the hope that you offer us to those around us. Help us to live by example first and foremost so that this world would see our good needs and look for you. They would see our father in us. They would see Christ living in us so that our lives would be the loudest sermon ever preached, would be the loudest example ever seen. Help us to make 2023 the best of best. In Jesus' name. Amen.